We're going to be in Romans 9 through 11 tonight. And um, this is an interesting part of Scripture. It's always confused me a little bit, probably confused you a little bit. And I don't know if all your confusion will be addressed tonight, uh, but hopefully we can, we can do a decent job. Um, <clears throat> I want to I start, and I just want to read this verse that I think is, is so crucial to Paul's message in Romans. Um, and so I'll read this, and then we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll dig into 9 through 11. So this is Romans 15. Verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's faithfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him, the Gentiles will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Father, I pray that you would open up, uh, once again, Lord, you'd open up this uh, letter to us that you would open up uh, Paul's thinking to us, uh, but most of all, that you'd open up your heart to us, Lord, the things about you that Paul is trying to communicate uh, to the Roman church and the things about yourself that we can learn uh, by, by reading this letter, by, by handling it well, by stewarding this truth that's come to us. Lord, make us faithful um, students of the word by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I can't go line by line through this. Um, We'd be here all night and probably until school starts (laughs) a week from Monday. Um, So I want to give some some broad thoughts and maybe read some key sections. So it's 9 through 11 is really all one. It's a pretty cohesive section, and it pretty much stands... uh, it, it is a distinct section. It's not, it's not to say that it's not connected with the letter. In fact, I think understanding 9 through 11 is, is contingent upon us having read the letter well up to this point and reading it well afterwards. But there's a, there's a, particular, uh, there's a particular issue that Paul is addressing in 9 through 11, and it has to do with Israel according to the flesh. Israel according to the flesh, or you could say ethnic Israel. What is, what's going on here? And we've, we've seen a number of times through the letter up to this point that Paul has raised that question, and he, he kind of gives half answers here, half answer there. But here in 9 through 11, he says, now let me just spell all of this out very clearly. <laughs> what about Israel according to the flesh? All right. So he hints at it in chapter 3 some. He talks about Abraham some, chapter 4. But then he gets into that wonderful section, 5 through 8, where he's talking about what it means that the new humanity in Christ, right? And that's really the focus. What does it mean now to be, uh, to be a human? How are we saved? What does it mean now that we're saved? 
Um, he talks about freedom from sin. He talks about freedom from the law. And uh, so a lot of what he talks about in 9 through 11 harken back to some of the things uh, that he has said already. But Paul is in rare form here because he opens it up by saying, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing, unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Now, he's just talked about being in Christ, being united with Christ. Right? Our oneness with Christ is what makes us that new, the new kind of man that's not under the power of sin, that has escaped the curse that was over mankind, the curse of death. We've escaped, and we've come out from under uh, sin's power. And he says, and if I, could, if I could be separate, if I could be cut off from Christ, and they be united with Christ, I'd do it. Now, that's really important. The way he phrases that is very important, given his broad point here. Okay? So he begins with something of a lament. N.T. Wright points this out. This section begins with a lament. He says this is almost, it's, it's almost like a psalm. It's almost in the shape of a psalm where Paul says, I have a great sorrow in my heart. The section ends with a great acknowledgement of praise and worship. And it resolves in praising the name of God, like many psalms do, right? It moves from lament to, to praise. But he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. So we're talking about ethnic Israel. He's talking to ethnic Israel. In the past several chapters, he's been talking to the community, the new community of Messiah in Christ, Jews and Gentiles. What does that mean for us as humans together in Christ? to the Jew and to the Gentile. Now he says, now let me talk specifically to, to my brothers, my kinsmen. You remember Paul was a Jew of Jews. He was zealous for the traditions of his fathers. He um, approved of the execution of Stephen, right? He had letters from the Sanhedrin um, authorizing him to throw Christians in jail, right? This is the guy who wrote this letter. And he says, guys, I have to tell you, I've seen the light. He literally did see the light, right, on the road to Damascus. I understand now what it's all about. Let me tell you guys who we are. And he's saying that who Israel is. Let me tell you who we are. This is what God called us for. So he says they're Israelites to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. He says, the first thing you need to know about us is that it's through us, ethnically, that Jesus came into the world. He said this up, up in the beginning, in chapter 1, um, when he talks about, really, the, the contents of the gospel. He says, the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and his holy scripture concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. He was a Jew. He was an ethnic Jew. He goes on to say, declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit. Right? The flesh 
and the Spirit, our familiar friends from chapter 7 and 8. Jesus, he says, was a Jew according to the flesh. He has just talked about in chapter 7 how what the purpose of the law was to, to imprison everything under, under sin so that he could condemn sin in the flesh that is in Messiah. So that all people could, could, who wanted to, to have faith in him could be forgiven of sin and welcomed into his family. So he says, but, now let me tell you guys, you have not been discarded. It's not as though the word of God has failed. So what was God doing? He's referring to the... He's referring to the fact that he's been talking about we've moved beyond Torah. We've moved beyond it. And so the Jews have to be left wondering, so where does that leave us? You remember the Jews had left for a while. The Gentiles were in charge. Now the Jews have come back to Rome and they're in the community together. This is who he's talking to. And really in this section, he's defending Judaism. He ends up, we'll see in chapter 11, he ends up with a warning to Gentiles. So, don't get arrogant. Understand who you are. You're the branches, they're the root. This is what he says. The branches don't support the root. The root supports the branches. Never forget that. Okay? Don't be arrogant. We'll talk about that in a second. So again... How has God then been faithful to ethnic Israel? If all that's passing away and we're entering into this new era of in Christ and um, out from under the law. So what, what's God doing? Is he, just, is he just scrapping that? And that's really the question that Paul is addressing. No, he's not scrapping it. In fact, all along... God has, so this is what happens in chapter 9. And first of all, let me just say that this this chapter has been used in a lot of different kinds of theology. And I'll just say that you will get very confused if you begin with this, if you begin reading this chapter in an isolated sense. And if you're saying, okay, what does this mean about me and my relationship with God? You're going to get very confused. And maybe even kind of scared. <laughs> and end up, to have, end up having to do some real theological gymnastics to make this square with what you understand about God. But if you realize that Paul is recapping the history of Israel to explain what God is up to now. And really to defend God, right? He's defending that God has been faithful. God has been righteous. Let me tell you how. God is just. So he's defending God. He's not explaining in this chapter why some people get saved and some people don't. He's not answering that question. Why some individuals get saved and some individuals don't. It's just irresponsible reading to bring that to this chapter. Does that make sense? Now, there might be some principles in here that might apply to that conversation, but that is not what Paul is talking about here. Read his own questions that he goes on to answer. Those are the questions we should ask. (laughs) Let's not ask our own questions of this section. All right? Okay, my soapbox. I'm down off the soapbox. It is not as though the word of God has failed. So that's 
That's one thing he's... So what about all those things God said? Was he lying? Was he not able to be faithful to those? That's the problem he's addressing. He says, okay, let's go to the word. Let's see what it says. Okay? It's not as though the word of God has failed. What does the word actually say? Not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel. That's confusing. But you have to understand, he's, he's defining or he's clarifying what Israel has always been, what Israel's always meant to be. Okay? Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. You know, you can put your own air quotes in there. You can put the air quotes on either one. Not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. There are children and then there are children. Okay? And he says, and this has always been the case. Let's take it, let's take it step by step. Let's walk back through. Let's start with Abraham. Okay? Isaac wasn't his only son. He had a son named Ishmael. But God said, no, not Ishmael. Isaac. Okay? Let's go to the next generation. And also, so he says, and then just to clarify this, so maybe you say, oh yeah, well that's pretty obvious. Ishmael was born of Hagar. You don't want to, that's not, obviously not going to be the people that God chooses. Well, how about this? Jacob and Esau, both Jews, Twins, in fact. And then before they're born and no one has done anything, God said, the older is going to serve the younger. And I choose Jacob. Jacob, I loved, but Esau, I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? What is this defending? It's not defending... God sending some people to hell and some people to heaven. That's not really what Paul's talking about at all. He's talking about the way that God brought Christ into the earth through a people. In moving that purpose forward through history, God made choices. Those choices were up to him. They weren't They didn't have anything to do with merit. Okay? So what is he? He is from within the Jewish scripture. He's telling the Jews who they are. You're the chosen people of God. Why did God choose you? So he could bring Christ into the earth. Why did he choose you? Because we were special. Because he liked us more. No. Because he wanted to bring Christ into the earth. That's what he's saying. And if you, keep your, if you keep your mind set on this, it makes a bunch more sense. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Now, when did he say that? Did you, did you look it up? Anybody look it up? when they had sinned at the golden calf and God wanted to wipe them all out 
And Moses pled and he interceded for the people. And God says, okay, I'll show you who I am. And I'm going to have mercy on whom I'm going to hurt. And I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. So we're walking through the story. And he says, what's the point of including that? Not that, hey, God liked some of those sinners and other sinners that he didn't. No, they all deserve judgment. He withheld judgment from some of them. Some of them got killed immediately, and they deserved it. They all deserved to be killed. Some lived. Was that unjust on God's part? No, because they all deserved death. Okay? And then he says, and Pharaoh. Well, Pharaoh obviously deserved death. Somehow, God didn't strike him dead. Why did he do it? He had something to do. He had a plan that he was working. And so he said, all right, Pharaoh, I know who you are, and, and really what you deserve is, is instant death and judgment. But I'll harden you in what, you, what you've already chosen, what you already want, and I will use you to bring my purposes to pass, to, 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 to bring to, what does he say? That I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So Paul is saying, guys, first of all, he's not defending God's, um, God's right to send some people to hell. He's defending God's right to not send some people to hell instantly. All right? So we got to get that out of our heads. He's not saying, well, God can send whoever he wants to hell right away. If we've learned anything from Romans, it should be this. We all deserve hell right now, right away. <laughs> now, how is God going to deal with this fact? Well, he's restrained that. He's had mercy on some. Why? So that he could bring the means of redemption into the earth. And so you, Israel, you deserve je- death. You've always deserved death just like anyone else. But God chose you so that he could bring Christ into the earth. Do you see, this is starting to make sense. It gets all backwards in our head. N.T. Wright says, if you, if, you read this, if you read this passage out of context, it's like standing still on a bicycle. You just, you fall over, you lose your balance pretty quick. You have to, you have to take it in stride. You have to keep moving and see the movement of the letter. So he has talked about the patriarchs, he's talked about the exodus, and then he talks about the period of the prophets who were saying, you're going to go into exile. But really what the prophets were saying was, you've deserved this a long time, but what's the real mystery? What's the real, um, the real paradox of like the books of Kings? It's how long God waited. Right? They deserved hell Instantly, they deserved exile right away. They had polluted the land, right? As soon as Jeroboam brought out, as soon as Solomon's heart got turned away, man, they deserved exile. But God withheld that. He restrained. He had a thing to do. And he sent prophets. And one of the, the 
crazy things in the prophets is just is is how is how long suffering God is. Any like like any instance of of true repentance, God's like, yes, okay, all right. I can work with that. <laughs> so then he goes, chapter 19, or verse 19 onward, he says, so why does he still find fault? Who are you that can resist his will? Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? So Paul's saying, now God, you Jews, God's on to a new thing now. Okay, we're out from under the law. But that doesn't mean that we look down on that. But it also means you've got to be okay with this new thing that God's doing. That's the whole point of the potter and, and the clay thing. That is a, uh, a prophecy from Jeremiah where there's a, a ruined pot and the potter scraps it and starts over. And it's a prophecy of you're going to go into exile and then God's going to renew the covenant. He's going to bring you back. It's a, it's a prophecy of the, uh, the return from exile. But it's also, yes, God has a right to scrap this pot, okay? So chapter 9, hopefully that gives you, and he gives prophecy after prophecy in which he's justifying, yeah, God can have mercy on the Gentiles. All right? And you guys need to be okay with that. You need to be on board with that. Um, He sums it up in verse 30. He says, what shall we say then that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, as if it were based on having the law and adhering to the law. Right? This is what defined Israel. We have Torah. We are the people of the the law. Back in chapter 2, he's already said, and you guys who think you have the law, you think you're so good. Nope, you're in the same boat. Chapter 7 has said, actually, (laughs) the fact that you had the law made it worse. (laughs) That made sin abound. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. And that's really what he's talking about here. He says, some of the Jews, they're going to get it. They're going to see Jesus. They're going to see the Messiah. They're going to turn and put their faith in him. Some of them are not going to be able to get out of that ethnic Jewish understanding of what it means to be the people of God. They're not going to be able to to, to get out of that and into faith. And so some Jews are not going to make it, he says. And that's why he has great anguish in his heart. My heart's desire for them is that they would be saved. I want all of my brethren to be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Chapter 10, he switches from, so he's told the story, emphasizing that, listen, God chose you. Not because of you, not because he wanted to exclude everyone else. Actually, he chose you so that he could save the world. And all along, you were failing in that vocation. But in spite of that, he has brought Christ in the world and he has saved the world. Being ignorant of the righteousness of God, that means being ignorant of what God was up to in reality. The way that he was 
the way that he was redeeming the world, the way that he was bringing salvation into the world through them, being ignorant of God's plan, it was hidden. It was a mystery to them. Seeking to establish their own, they didn't submit to God's God righteousness, but God's overall plan of saving the world through them. They didn't submit to that. They didn't align themselves with God's plan. For Christ is the end of the law. This is a very important scripture. Christ, Messiah, is the end. And it doesn't mean the end. We don't look at that anymore. It means the telos. That means the fulfillment, the aim. Christ, Messiah, is where the law was pointing all along. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. It doesn't mean that once you have Christ, you can stop worrying about doing good things. Not going to do anything. No, no, no. It means Paul very clearly is saying, listen, guys, it was God's plan all along. That's why you have the law anyway, to bring, to point toward Christ and to bring him into the earth. Moses writes about the salvation as based on the law, the person who does Commandments shall live by them. The righteousness based on faith says, and then he quotes Deuteronomy 30, which is a covenant renewal ceremony where, where um, Moses is talking about. Listen, guys, if you disobey the law, there's going to be all these things that happen that are bad. He says, if you do the law, all these good things will happen. If you disobey the law, this curse will come upon you. But if you seek me with your whole heart, I will circumcise your heart. And this is when he says, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Under the new covenant, under under the renewed covenant, the word wasn't going to be an external code. It was going to be by the Holy Spirit. This is what we just talked about in chapter 8. It's going to be by the Holy Spirit. So the word's written on our hearts, right? That's one of the things that the prophets often say in reference to the, the coming new covenant. That the word is on our hearts. Jeremiah talks a lot about this. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he's ta- he says, he's talking to his brethren. He's talking to ethnic Israel when he says that. Now, it's true for us as well. It's true for everybody. But it's true for Israel because it's true for everybody as well. And what he's emphasizing here is you need, to, you need to receive Jesus as the Messiah. You need to see him as the one that all this was, has always been pointing to. Everyone who believes in him will uh, not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek in, in salvation. There's no distinction if you confess with your mouth, it's, it's by faith. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Which is what Peter, it's the, it's the verse that Peter quoted at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came. Right? We just talked about the Spirit, all chapter 8. That's the Holy Spirit chapter. And he's saying, the Spirit has fallen. And everyone who, there's a new thing happening. These are the last days. And everyone now who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Skip to chapter 11. I'm going to come back. 
The point I want to make tonight is in the, in the last part of chapter 10. So let's skip ahead, and then we're going, to, we're going to come back to that. I asked then, has God rejected his people? So the, the two big questions now that he sort of paved the way for are these. Uh, 11.1 and 11.11. Those are the two big questions he wants to address. Has God rejected his people? By no means. And 11.11, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. So first of all, did he reject his people? No. He says, he's already said it, right, in chapter 9. It's through all of those people, and Christ is the end of the law. This is how God was bringing Christ into the earth, was through Israel. And you all have to see that. He's not now rejecting you. He's taking the next step in the plan that he's been working from the beginning. This is just the next step, you guys. You know, just like the next step was uh, going from Egypt to uh, Sinai, going from Sinai to the next place. We're just taking the next step, all right? From Moses, Abraham to Moses, from Moses to David, right? This is the next chapter, the next big chapter, and it's really the final chapter in salvation history. So that doesn't mean that you're rejected. It means that we're all taking this next step together. And he says, and some, there's a remnant. Now this remnant is not, this remnant is just, it's simply like the kind of Jew that Paul was, right? He's received Jesus and he's part of that remnant. The kind that has been saved by grace, he says. There's a remnant chosen by grace. It's not on the basis of, of works or anything ethnic. All right? What then? Israel obtained. Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Now, the elect, um, that's those that have put their faith in Jesus. Right? This gets to like Ephesians 1. Who, I mean, in a lot of ways now... When, you, when we see elect, we should see Jesus and all who are in him. Right? Ephesians 1 says, he chose us in him. God chose Jesus. He said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And this is what, this is who everyone, you know, this is, if you want to come and put your faith in him, you will be abdo- adopted as my son too, just like Jesus. So what God has chosen is Jesus once and for all and all who put their faith in him. The rest were hardened. Now, he talked about Pharaoh being hardened. Now he's talking about Israel being hardened. The reason he brought up Pharaoh being hardened is the same reason that he, that he says Israel was hardened. They deserve punishment. They deserve judgment now. But God is suspending that. Okay? He'll talk about that a little bit uh, in, in a few verses. So then the next question. So the rest were hardened. There, there remains in Israel a large number of those who have stumbled over the stumbling block. They haven't been able to see, like Paul has seen, Jesus as the Messiah. 
as the one that we've been waiting for, as the establisher of the new covenant, and turn and unite themselves with him. So, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Okay, so some have stumbled. Is that so that they would fall, so that they would be discarded? By no means. And he says, and actually, even the hardest of the hard, even those Israelites that never got it, God was still able to work salvation into the earth through them. And this is the, this is the strange mystery that he begins to unroll. And um, because this is a little hard to explain, I'm just going to read something N.T. Wright wrote that I think is really, is, is really good and, and clear because I would muddle through this for probably 10 minutes to say what he says right here in one paragraph. So he says this, The mystery of Israel is seen in this. That God called Israel, Abraham and his family, to undo the sin of Adam. Right? We're going we're gonna to do it right with you all. <laughs> we're going to undo what all mankind has become. But that work was bound to be Christ-shaped, cross-shaped. Okay? Somebody had to bear the sins of the world. God suspended judgment. Well, in the flood, he wiped them all out all at once. And he says, I'm not going to do that again. (laughs) So he began this strange process of calling a nation. But as we saw in chapter 7, he called a nation so that he could draw all sin into that nation and punish sin there, namely in the the Messiah. So this is what he talked about. That work was bound to be Christ-shaped, cross-shaped, to involve being cast away that the world might be redeemed. Just as the Torah's effect in chapter 7 was not simply negative, but it served the larger purpose of drawing sin, the sin of the whole world, onto one point so that it could be dealt with there. That is, in the flesh of the Messiah. Remember that? Um, He sent forth his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in the cross of Jesus. God condemned sin in the flesh. So here, God's purpose in election, designed to narrow Israel down to a single point, the Messiah, had in view the extension of God's saving purpose to the whole world. Okay? So what's he saying? God's, all along, you guys, God has been choosing to narrow you down. And what's he been up to? Not playing favorites. What has he been up to? Bringing forth his son, sending forth his son into the world so that in his son, he could condemn sin in the flesh, but then through his son, he could fulfill the promise to Abraham, which was to bless the whole world. You remember in Acts when he says, um, I'm blanking on who it is and where it is, which sermon it is. But he says, it's, it, he's talking to the Jews, and he says, God sent me to you first to bless every one of you by turning you away from your sins. This is what God did. He sent, and the, the verse that I read uh, at, the, at the beginning, he sent him to the circumcised to show that he was faithful to his promises. But then it was, the goal was always, even when God chose Abraham, the goal was the whole world. The goal was the Gentiles. And so Paul is saying, guys, you've got to understand what your calling has meant all along. You've always been called 
to be the place where God could work on behalf of the nations. Now, that includes dealing with sin. And it also includes revealing what life really is. So did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Because this people was stubborn, <laughs> because they couldn't live up to the law, because, sinful, because sin in them became sinful beyond all measure, God was able to save the Gentiles through them, through their failure. And so in a weird way, they have participated in the work that Jesus accomplished on our behalf, which is to be cast away, to be killed, to taste judgment so that the world could be saved, so that the Gentiles could be saved. Does that make sense? If their trespasses, if their trespass means riches for the world, the fact that Israel was so sinful and so rebellious and deserved so much punishment meant that when Messiah come, came, God could, in him, deal with all sin in one place. If their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So, guys, the Jews of all people, you need to embrace Jesus as the Messiah. Because even when you were hard and rebellious, God saved the world through you. Now how much more when you come into a relationship with God by faith and you realize what he's been up to all along and you can actively and joyfully participate in that kind of life. Whoa. What kind of, what kind of nation would that be? And then he turns and he talks to the Gentiles and basically he says, so you guys have to remember, this is God's plan through Israel for the sake of the nations. This isn't God's plan for the Gentiles. <laughs> Let's forget about the Jews. They must have failed. They didn't live up to the... No. They had a special job. And it was really a terrible job. And no, they didn't live up to the law, but that was never really the point. The point was they were to bear the sins of the world. And that's what Jesus did. That's, that's one aspect of the calling of Israel that Jesus fulfilled. He bore the sins of the world. That's one thing that, that Israel... I mean, why do you think they had such a... Why do you think that the center of the nation was a place where you kill lots of animals? They were called to be a kingdom of priests. Offering sacrifices so that the world could see how to live but also so the world could come and have their sins forgiven through those sacrifices. Jesus has become all of that. This is this, I mean, does it blow your mind? I mean, my, my brain hurts when I try and, and understand, when I try and see every, the significance of Jesus in all of this. So he sums it up like this. 
Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. Part of them are hard. Part of them will have faith, but part of them have become hardened until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. All right? Now, this is a, this is a, this is a tricky verse. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now, there's a lot of theological um, systems that they really take that verse and run with it. <laughs> it becomes like the central verse of their, of their systematic theology. And there's, there's like this weird way where Israel is saved in a different way than Christians in some strange way. Um, you've probably, maybe you've run into these kinds of theologies where it's like, well, the Jews, they still have kind of their own special thing going on over here and the Christians. And I mean, I've, I've seen one where it's in the end times, the, the Christians get raptured and live with God in heaven and the Jews reign on earth with Jesus. That doesn't make any sense. What does it mean then to say that all Israel will be saved? Well, he doesn't say all Israel will be saved. He says in this way, all Israel will be saved. Remember, we started this whole section off with Israel and Israel. Not all who are called Israel belong to Israel. He said that right up front. In this way, all Israel will be saved. Same sentence, as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion and will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. How is Israel going to be saved? The same way anyone else is saved. By the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. In this way, all Israel will be saved. By putting faith in Jesus. That's just what he spent a whole chapter, chapter 10, talking about. If you confess with your mouth. So in this way, the true Israel is saved. Okay? There's a hardening on some of them, and we hope that they turn. All right? But I don't think anywhere Paul is saying that, and then there's going to be um, this weird point when Jesus comes, and everyone who's ethnically Jewish at that point will just suddenly get saved. And I think that's how it's read a lot of times. But that's not really in view here. What is he talking about? All Israel, past, present, future, Anyone who's ever been true Israel is saved like this by the forgiveness of sins. <laughs> As it is written, in this way will all Israel be saved by God's uh, new covenant that he's established with his people. As regards the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. Okay, so they don't embrace the gospel. And in that way, yes, they're opposed to you. But as regards election, they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers. N.T. Wright has a great um, metaphor for this. He says, uh, he, he calls it, it's, it's the metaphor of the bomb squad. 
there was a bomb there was a bomb that was about to go off and kill everyone and there was this elite group of uh, bomb technicians and they took the bomb they they came they were called they got the bomb they took it outside of the densely populated area they took it way out there and um that that was their job but when they got out there um there was one guy who was able to um, he was able to let the bomb explode and he wouldn't he, he would be able to, to to live through it and he was trying to convince everyone that 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 was able but all the bomb squad they just loved they, they liked their uniforms they liked the fact that they got chosen for this special job and they all stood around saying no no we're not going to let you we're not going to let you um, get all the glory for that we're going to stand here and the bomb goes off and the guy that it wasn't going to hurt anyway it didn't hurt everybody else dies and he's sitting there pleading with them saying no don't you you need to get go back to the town i i'm I'm going to handle this but they insist on no no you can't kick us off the team what are you what are you trying to do you're trying to get it for yourself you see you see the the analogy there israel had become (laughs) the bomb squad that just liked, oh, yeah, we gotta, we're on a special mission. <laughs> we're on a mission from God. And Paul's saying, you guys, stop standing around the bomb. Let Jesus, who bore your sins, let him forgive you of your sins. And, and run to him and, and pledge your life to him and embrace him. Election, he's trying to say over and over, election is not merit-based. God had some dirty work to do, and he happened to draft you all to do it. Now, he's done the dirty work. Do you want to get out of the, <laughs> do you want to get out of the dirty clothes now and, and move on with life now that the dirty work has been done? Or do you want to wallow around in your in your hip waders and sewage and say, ah, look, we got chosen for the job. We've moved way beyond. The dirty job has been done. Come on. You see what he's, you see what he's trying to say? For God has consigned all to disobedience. Paul said this a number of times. He's consigned all to disobedience. Everybody deserves judgment. You too, Jews. Everybody. So that he can have mercy on all. (laughs) Now God can be justified in extending mercy to anyone because he has dealt with the sins that needed to be dealt with that separated us from God that earned all of us judgment and punishment. He's done it. And then the only thing you can possibly do if you've really grasped this, Paul does, and he just worships. He just praises God. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. (laughs) Because... 
in some weird divine calculus, he chooses some to go to heaven and chooses some to go to hell? No. Because somehow, he has been faithful to this promise to bless the earth through this guy Abraham, who didn't even have a son. Somehow he's made that happen. How did he do that? How in the world did he do that? That's what he's saying. How inscrutable are his ways? But really, they're not that inscrutable when you understand the cross. But until you understand the cross, it's inscrutable. You cannot fathom. It is a mystery. But it's been revealed, and the gospel reveals the mystery. So there's a couple uh, passages I want to read, and I think this just helps us contextualize where Paul's coming from, the kind of people, um, his heart toward ethnic Israel. And I'll, I'll read these pretty quick. First one's in Isaiah. Isaiah 6, right? This is the calling of Isaiah, but then his commission is this. What's the, what's the commission of Isaiah? He says, go and say to this people, you're going to keep hearing it, but you're never going to get it. They're hardened. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy. Blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. They've decided they don't want me. Then I said, turn, how long? Uh, then I said, how long, Lord? And he said, until, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and you go into exile. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. When it's felled, the holy seed is its stump. God's saying, God kept choosing parts to work with <laughs> because he was, he was purifying his people. They were, they were past judgment, and so he kept just working with the rebellion within his people. They had become just as bad as anyone else. And he got all the way down to the holy seed, to that stump. And then Paul says, and they're the root. There's the root, there's the root of David. And now we are the branches. God burned his people. He chose them, but they sinned. And he got all the way down to the stump, which is Jesus condemns sin in the flesh. And now the tree begins to grow with new life. In Matthew 21, there's a great parable that kind of deals with these same themes. 21.33. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, built a tower and leased it to tenants. And he went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near... He sent his servant to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. And he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And he took them and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruit in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? 
The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the same scripture that Paul's drawing from. This is the stumbling block. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Israel, you have to get on board. You've got to understand, you've rejected the Son. And you thought you were doing the world a favor. And you had to hear Paul's anguish. I was there with you guys. I was killing Christians. And I thought I was offering service to God. It was out of zeal to, for God. And it was completely wrong. Brethren, join me. Luke 15. I'll just read the end of the parable of the prodigal son. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked, what, asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. There's lots of symbolism in there. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. This is the heart of God. This is Paul's heart for his fellow Jews. Guys, let's understand. <laughs> We've been with him all along. He's been working, he's been working through history to get to the place where he himself was going to, going to come and die for the world. That's who we are. That's who we are. Now we've been with him all along, and we haven't understand that we haven't understood his heart at all which is the cross, which is dying for others. We thought that it was just a place of privilege. And so this, this older son, he's incensed that, Dad, I've been working all this time, and I, I've never seen you get happy about that. He goes, son, you're with me. We've been doing this thing together. You've been working with me. All that is mine is yours. Why don't you rejoice with me now? If you really understood my heart, you'd rejoice with me that your son has returned. Paul's saying, guys, the Gentiles are coming in. <laughs> we need to rejoice. This is what it was always about. And let me tell you, the fact that you failed, that was actually in the plan. The fact that you were cast off, the fact that you were just so burdened with sin that you couldn't even move, that was part of the plan. And Jesus has died for you to fulfill everything that you were always supposed to do. So here's sort of the application. How will then they call on how then will they call on him, Romans ten fourteen, whom they have not believed? 
And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Who's Paul? He's the minister to the Gentiles. He's pleading with his brothers. Guys, let's go tell them. We know him better than anyone else. This is a wonderful task that we've been given. Now we really understand our calling to die for the world. Do it with me, guys. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? You know when he says that? Isaiah 53. which is the essence of the way that God was going to uh, work in his people to bless the world. The servant was going to take on the sins of many and die. That was the heart. That was the heart of God's calling on Israel. That was the very height of what God chose Israel to do. Who has believed that? They never got it. So, my application is this. When you preach the gospel, we need to understand what it means to be called, what it means to be part of the people of God. It has never meant a place where um, we can enjoy things uh, that others can't. Where we can know things and have access to things that others can't. It has always meant that we come and we with God. Right? When did Isaiah receive his commission? It's after he saw God and his tongue was, he said, woe is me. I am undone. And God said, do you really want to join me in my mission? All right. Keep telling them, keep telling them, and they're not going to believe you. Paul is saying, guys, join me. I am the apostle. I magnify my ministry to make you all jealous. Oh, he's got it. This is what it's always been about. So, I want to encourage us just to think toward, you know, as we think toward campus outreach, to know that we, as the people of God, you know, because God gives the same warning to the, to the Gentiles then. He says, so they've been grafted in. Jews, you better receive them. God has had mercy on them. It's, it was all for them. You know, we've killed the fattened calf for them. But then he goes on and he says, and now you Gentiles. If you stop producing the fruit of the kingdom, I'm going to take it away from you too. If I can take it away from my chosen people, well, I can certainly take it away from you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too 
Gentiles will be cut off. And even they, the Jews, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they'll be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. So he says, they were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. So there's a warning here, but there's also a joyous commission. There's a warning that if we get to the same place where it's based on the law, not achieving righteousness through good works, but it's based on status. Hey, I'm a Christian. I don't have to associate with this kind of people anymore. Hey, I'm a Christian. I I know how life is supposed to be lived. You people, you're fill in the blank of whatever people group you don't like. And so I don't have to, I'm better than you, right? I'm going to keep you and your kind away from me. If we ever get to that place where we start to get a little bit Israel according to the flesh, God says, I had no problem moving on from them and in spite of them (laughs) and bringing my purposes to pass regardless. So there's a warning in it for us But there's also a great hopeful commission that what a message we've been entrusted with. Man, the gospel. This brings us back to chapter one. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. When you start to wrap your mind around the righteousness of God, how faithful, how how it is that he brought salvation into the earth, you're not even going to, you're not even going to be able to believe it. And in fact, a lot of people weren't ever able to believe it for generations. Who has believed this? He died. He bore the sins of mankind. We have, a, we have nothing to be ashamed of in that gospel. Our Lord, we proclaim our Lord's death until he comes. So the warning against um, complacency, against entitlement mentality as Christians, um, but also the exhortation toward So let's get on board with the program. The program was Gentile focused. The program was for the lost. If we should, if we learn any from any, if we learn anything from the gospel, it should be that God chooses people so that he can save other people through working with them. So let's get on board with that. We have been called. We have been brought into the family of God, not so that we can have a better life, but so that everybody else can have a better life because of our love for them. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel. Um, So those two things, I want to warn us against any sort of inwardness and um, just getting so focused on making, you know, living a good life, having a good family um, and focus on all those things so that we forget the whole reason we've been blessed in the first place which is to be a blessing and and to and to bring others into the family of god but then also just that god rejoices over those who do set their feet to bring the gospel of 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 peace you know in in ephesians it talks about the the feet part of the armor god is is the shoes your feet are shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace we're ready we're ready to head out the door and we have on the right footwear, uh, which is very important to me. I, you always have to have the right shoes. 
But we need to put on the right shoes and, and go out and know that we have, and Paul just rejoiced in his ministry, right? Guys, this is a wonderful ministry. He talks about it in chapter one. He talks about it again in, in chapter 15. Let's, let's be a people that bring the gospel uh, to the nations. Amen? I'm done with nine through 11. Um, so we'll talk, about, um, we'll talk about the life of the people of God. A life lived now, it says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God, in view of God's mercy. Now, that should take on some serious significance for us. In view of everything that's just blown our minds about God's faithfulness and his ability to bring his son into the world through Israel. In view of all that, what do we do? In chapter 12... And onward uh, spells it out for us. So it, that'll be really fun next week because it's, 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 there's, some practical, there's a lot of practicals. There's a lot of imperatives. Do this, do this, do this. But we get to approach that not with a Torah mentality that this is going to imprison me under something that I want to do but I can't. We get to approach it with, it's not prescriptive, it's descriptive of the life that we have in Christ. And so we can rejoice we can rejoice in all of the imperatives because it's who we are in Christ. Amen? So have a good week. of Just um, meditate on those, on those last four chapters of Romans and get a vision. You know, in light of everything that we've seen about the big purposes of God, it's pretty heavy stuff. Here's how it works itself out amongst the people of God now. And it's a beautiful picture. And embrace it. And let the Spirit minister it to your heart. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this uh, word. And I ask that you would go with us, that you would um, continue to open it to us. Um, We thank you for it and ask that you would uh, continue to lead us where we need to go uh, as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.